seated. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me uh, to Mark, Mark chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading at verse 1, and we'll read all the way to verse 12. Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they they could not get near because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And we confess that we would be lost without your word, without your voice telling us what we needed to hear. We are grateful that that this word here declares to us our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Would you make our hearts open, our ears and our eyes open to this truth, Lord? I pray that you would shepherd us with these words. And we pray this not in our own name, not because we are worthy of this, but we pray in Christ's name. Amen. What would change your life, if that changed. If only one thing could change, what would have the most dramatic impact on your life? Now maybe think about the people or the person that you love the most. What is it that when you think of them, you think, I want this to happen so that their life would be so much better? Now in this passage, we might be tempted to think that the thing that this man needed the most, the thing that would change his, most, his life most dramatically, was to be able to walk. It's likely that the people in his life thought that. And maybe the thing that occupies your mind the most, the thing that you worry about, the thing that concerns you the most about your own life, is something other than the forgiveness of sins. Maybe it's getting a job, getting a better job. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe you have been diagnosed 
with some terminal disease. And maybe you think about your friend or your children, your family members, and you think the same thing about them. The thing that you think about, them, that grieves you, that concerns you the most, is some other need. But the greatest need that all of us have is the forgiveness of our sins. And that is our first point today. Jesus clearly articulating this with this story. Forgiveness is everyone's greatest need. The paralyzed man knew he wasn't able to walk. He knew this. He knew that this was a great need of his. And not being able to walk, it presented more needs than he would have otherwise had. He likely would not have been able to earn a living. He needed to be carried to certain places. He needed to be cared for. And it might be true that this is what consumed this man's thoughts when he lay in his bed, when he was by himself or when he was with other people. It might have been the thing that he thought the most about, but maybe not. We have reason to believe in this passage. It wasn't the thing that concerned him the most. And the paralyzed man, his friends, also knew that he wasn't able to walk. They knew this man had extra needs. And we know this because they loved him enough to care for at least some of those needs to be the ones who would carry him from place to place. And it's possible they thought that this was this man's greatest need. The thing they thought of when they thought of him. It's also possible that that's not true. And I would argue it's likely not true. Because we don't know the motivation for them bringing, that, bringing their friend to Jesus. We have this scene where Jesus comes back to Capernaum, which is his home base at the time. This is his home territory. He's very well known in these parts. He was very well known as a child and as a young man in these parts. And now he's in his 30s and he's very well known. He had already cast out demons in synagogues. He's already healed many sick people. He's preached the gospel in these places. And so now he returns to Capernaum and there is a great crowd who is gathered around the house that he is at. And these friends hear about this and they bring their friend to this house where Jesus is preaching the word, the gospel. But they can't get in. There's a crowd around them, even the door is blocked, and they can't get in. They're prevented, and their goal is that they want to lay this man in front of Jesus. They're prevented, and so they find another way. They had so much faith that Jesus was the Messiah, that it moved them to find a way, a way that wasn't subtle or honorable. They found a way that was pretty desperate. It looked pretty Needy, pretty humiliating for them to do this. This wasn't something they could do very subtly. And so when they get to the house and they find that the door is blocked and their plan to get this man in front of Jesus, lay him at his feet, it looked like it wasn't going to work. And so they climbed to the top of the roof. And then once on the top of the roof, they, they dug a hole through all the materials and they made a hole big enough that they could lower their friend down in front of Jesus. Now, whether they cared about what people thought, we don't know. We just know that their confidence in Jesus was greater. And that their love of their friend was greater. So they lowered him down in front of Jesus. Now, we don't know what the next part of their plan is. Sometimes this happens with young men. 
they make this wonderful plan and they get all the way up to this point and then afterwards we, we didn't think about what comes next. Doesn't look like they had a plan. Seems like they were just going to leave that up to Jesus. Whatever happens next, that's up to Jesus. But we know we've got to get this man in front of Jesus. And so now this man is lying at Jesus' feet. But he's also lying in front of a crowd. And Jesus sees this man. And rather than seeing that he was a paralytic, he saw this man's greatest need. And that man's greatest need was the forgiveness of sins. Verse 5, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. He saw that man's greatest needs was was the forgiveness of sins. Now you can have the world and no forgiveness, and it wouldn't matter. You could be the richest man or woman on earth without forgiveness, and it wouldn't matter. You can have nothing and no forgiveness. And forgiveness would be your greatest need. The thing that would ultimately define you. Even if you are a paralytic, the thing that would ultimately define your need was that you are unforgiven. And conversely, you can, have a, you can have nothing and have forgiveness and have everything. Because to have forgiveness of sins is to have God as your Father. The God who has all things and who has promised to not withhold any of the things that He owns, which is everything, from His children if having them would be for their good. And so whether they came expecting forgiveness for their friend or not, Jesus knew that this was his greatest need. And he provided him that need. He declared his sins were forgiven. And they were. How did this man receive forgiveness for his sins? Was it because Jesus likes sick people better? What does the text tell us? Why was it that this man received forgiveness for his sins? What did Jesus see? He saw there faith. And the faith that they had was not merely for healing. Because then maybe they would have received only healing, but he saw a different kind of faith in these people. He responded to their faith with forgiveness. And so it was faith for forgiveness. We don't need, know what need was on the top of their minds that day when they came to the house. It's possible that the thing at the top of their mind was the healing of their friend. It's possible. It's also possible that they did this while all the while knowing that their greatest need was forgiveness of sins. It's actually It's possible that this troubled them more than paralysis. That when this man was lying alone in bed on his own, the thing he thought about was not, oh, I wish I could walk. But he thought, I've sinned against God. That makes me an enemy of God. Can I be forgiven? Can I be restored to God? Now they had heard Jesus and John preach many things. Remember, 
Capernaum was blanketed by the gospel at this point. In John 1 verse 4, you can turn there, John 1 verse 4, it says that John was preaching the forgiveness of sins. In, John, in Mark 1 verse 8, he was promising that there would be washing not with water, but washing with the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine if you wanted to be forgiveness of your sins and somebody promised that there would be something greater than water baptism, water washing, it would be something greater than that, washing with the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that would actually forgive my sins, that would cleanse me of my sins. They had heard this promise already preached in Capernaum. So when they came to Jesus, they knew that this was his gospel. Dear friends, do you believe that forgiveness is your greatest need? The forgiveness of your sins, do you feel that? Do you believe it is your kids' greatest need? Your grandkids? Your nephews or nieces? Christ did. Now sometimes people can think, well, this is, this is just cheap to think about that as the priority because it's so, it's, it costs a lot less than saying, oh, if they need money or if they need care, that's their greatest need. So, so we're just offering something cheaper because it's easier. It's not cheaper. It came at a greater cost. The greatest cost because Christ paid for this with his life. By taking the place of all who he would forgive. So Christ declaring this man forgiven meant Christ was agreeing to be damned. Not just for some people, but for this man as well. To take the cost of this man's forgiveness. This was the only thing that Jesus feared. The only thing that Jesus feared wasn't death, it wasn't poverty, it wasn't flogging, it wasn't even crucifixion. The thing that Jesus feared the most was the punishment from God for the sins of all who would come to him by faith. This is why he sweat drops of blood in the garden before he was betrayed, arrested, and crucified. He feared the punishment for sin. And if it is the only thing that Christ feared, standing before God bearing unforgiven sin, we can be certain that it is our greatest need. It is your greatest need. It is my greatest need. Our second point that Mark really wants us to see is that our God, it's that only God has authority to forgive sin. Only God has authority to forgive sin. Let's, let's pick up verse 6. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The response in the hearts of the religious leaders was suspicion. Aghast! This man is blaspheming. Only God can forgive sins, and this man is not God. And they were right about one thing. Only God does have the authority to forgive sin. Why is that? Why is it that only God has authority to forgive sin? Well, these scribes, they would have memorized the Old Testament. And so they might have been thinking about Psalm 51, verse 3. This is David's prayer of repentance, of repentance after he fell into great sin, committing not only adultery, but then killing the man, 
the husband of the woman who he had had sex with. Psalm 51 verse 3, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Dear friends, we break God's laws when we sin. We are made in God's image. That means our actions say something about God, whether they're true or false, they're always saying something about God. There's a dignity given to the human race. All of us are made in His image. That gives us a certain dignity that nobody can deny. But it also means that everything we do says something about God. We're always speaking about God in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. That means all of our sins are sins against God. It is popular in our day to talk about self-forgiveness. People say, I'm not sure if I can forgive myself. Nonsense. That is nonsense. You don't need to forgive yourself. You're not allowed to forgive yourself. That is really good news, dear friends. The question is not, have I forgiven my sins? The question, has God forgiven your sins? You don't have authority to declare yourself innocent, righteous, or forgiven. Now, religion, human religion is, is where people gather together and they say, we declare your sins are forgiven. Or, that you don't need forgiveness for your sins. But dear friends, such a claim requires proof. Because only God can make that statement. You must prove that you're talking on behalf of God. For example, if somebody tells you that your mortgage is paid, don't worry about the payments anymore. If a stranger walks up to you and tells you your mortgage is paid, don't worry about it. The debt is paid. The debt is forgiven. Well, that might sound great. But they'd have to prove that they had authority to say that. If the debt was not to them, they don't have authority to say that it is forgiven. But if they prove, if they prove they do have authority to say that, well then you can rest assured that your mortgage, your debt is paid. So what proofs does Jesus offer? That he does have authority to forgive sins, that he is in fact God. Well, the first one that should have blown their minds is that he knew their thoughts. Did you notice that? Jesus knows their thoughts in verse 8. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Oh boy, this man can read our thoughts. I thought our thoughts were safe. You know, Big tech is spying on us. They know all of your internet activity. They know your thoughts too. These men knew this man could read their thoughts. Again, these men had memorized the Old Testament. Who can read the thoughts of men? Only God. Continue reading in Psalm 51, verse 6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Go to Psalm 139, verse 23. 
a very popular, very famous uh, psalm, Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my actions. Nope. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. These religious leaders had likely memorized these verses, and that's why they were right to say that only God could forgive sins. But here Jesus showed that He was the God who knew the inward being, who knew the secret heart, who knows their hearts and thoughts, and who could have led them in the way everlasting, as Psalm 139 says. The psalmist would tell them, if someone knows your thoughts, if somebody can prove that he is the God who knows your thoughts, this man could also lead you in the way everlasting. And they weren't interested. Maybe they assumed they already had everlasting life, or maybe they didn't need it. Maybe they didn't care. And so Jesus continues. He asks a question. Which is easier to say? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven to somebody? Or is it easier to say, rise, pick up your bed and walk? What's the answer to that question? Which one is actually easier to say? Well, it's easier to tell somebody their sins are forgiven. Why? Because nobody can find you out. Nobody can show that you're false. It's much harder to walk up to a paralyzed man and just out of the blue say, rise, pick up your bed and walk. Because what happens if that man doesn't get up? Everybody knows you've been exposed as a fraud. But if you walk up to people, like the false churches of our day and the false religions of our day, like the United Church just declares to people, your sins are forgiven. See, false religions endure as long as they do endure, and they don't all endure, but the ones that endure, they endure because they can't be proven false. They don't make claims that can be proven false. They assume authority without ever having to prove it. They assume they can declare somebody's sins forgiven without having to prove that they're speaking on behalf of God. And so it would be harder to say, rise, pick up your bed, and walk. But he continues that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He's talking to the Pharisees. Then he stops. He turns to the paralytic and he says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. What would happen next would make all the difference. Is he, just like the false religions, offering forgiveness on behalf of God? Without ability to demonstrate that he speaks on behalf of God? And so all the eyes which were furiously fixed on Christ, hating him, calling him a blasphemer, fixed at him, glaring at him, you could imagine. They're all looking at Christ, and as soon as he says that, now every eye turns to this man, to the paralytic. And it says, immediately he rose. And everyone saw it. Everyone was amazed. And everybody realized they'd never seen a man like this before. Dear friends, your sin is against God. 
yeah, we sinned against each other. But in our, in our sin, in terms of ultimate forgiveness, it's about God. So if your friend forgives you, your sin may still be unforgiven. You still may be guilty. And if your friend does not forgive you, your sin actually might be forgiven if God declares it to be so. Only God can forgive sins. And he promised a Messiah to come to Israel. And he called this Messiah the Son of Man. Carl read for us one of the most famous Son of Man passages in the Old Testament from Daniel. And I wonder if you noticed that even though different kings and rulers have been given authority over parts of the earth and they exercised authority on the earth, different, different, uh, different human kings, that one day there would come a king who was actually a human king who would be given, over all, given authority over all things. Authority over the religious leaders, over the civil rulers, the kings of the earth. Authority to conquer other people. And in fact, authority to judge the world. Authority to send sinners to hell. But that would mean he also has authority to forgive sinners. He had authority to provide forgiveness for sins. But that doesn't mean that he can just snap his fingers. He can't just declare somebody's sin forgiven. He had the authority to pay for their sin. And so he did on the cross. Dear friends, you will see people attempting to gain you. To gain you by promising forgiveness. Churches, other religions, or even promising that you are not in need of forgiveness. But dear friends, do not trust anyone who has not been raised from the dead. Because only that man has authority to conquer God's enemies. Only that man has authority to judge people and send them to hell. And only that man has authority to provide himself as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And if that man, the Lord Jesus, if that man's word declares you damned, you are damned. No matter what your pastor tells you, no matter what your own heart tells you, no matter what the internet tells you, or what your mom tells you. But if his word declares you forgiven, then you are. No matter what your pastor tells you, no matter what your own heart tells you, no matter what the internet tells you, no matter what your mom tells you. Those who repent of sin and believe in the gospel are in Christ. They belong to Him. They're part of Him. Who see the promise of being cleansed from sin and being reconciled to God. And they trust only Christ could do that by His death and resurrection. And His words, the Son of Man, to whom all authority in heaven and earth would be given, His word says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. His word says that no one can bring any charge against his chosen people because it is God who justifies. His word says that no one can condemn his people because Christ Jesus is the one who died and more than that, was raised from the dead and who's at the right hand of God. He's the Son of Man with authority over all things. 
And so do not look to those with no authority to condemn you or forgive you. Because Christ alone is the judge. And Christ alone is the forgiver of sins. Our third point is this. Saving faith and unbelief often have the same information. Saving faith and unbelief often have the same information. This happened in Capernaum. This is Jesus' hometown. It's in a region that very well knew him. He had preached there. He had done bucket loads of miracles in Capernaum. And there was no excuses. These people saw proof that he was the Messiah, that he was God, that he had the authority to send people to hell. He had the authority to save people from hell. And you see two different responses. The first response by these five men, the four friends and their paralytic friend, the first response is these men cannot deny his authority. And they run from sin to him for forgiveness. They see a man who has forgiveness, he has the authority to forgive sins, and they run to him. They see a man who has authority to reconcile them with God, to save them from being enemies and make them his children. And they see this and they run to him. But then you also see people who see the same things, who hear the same gospel, who see the same proof and continue in unbelief. Those who would shame themselves, humble themselves in order to come to Him and believe there was just too much proof to deny that this man could forgive our sins. Now, greater miracles would be done in Jesus' ministry than the ones He'd already done and this particular one. Resurrections from the dead, including His own. And yet, it was not, it was not responded to with faith. And without faith, there is no forgiveness. Now, friends, contrary to what some people might tell you, faith does require evidence. You're not a fool if somebody tells you your mortgage is paid for and you'd like them to prove that they have authority to say that. You're not a fool if somebody comes up to you on the street or in church and tells you, your sins are forgiven. You're not a fool if they tell you that and you'd like some proof that they have authority to say that. It is foolish to trust a religion or a Messiah that could not prove he was God. But the difference between believers and unbelievers is not the amount of evidence. Satan knows very well all these things, all these proofs that Jesus offered. So did Judas Iscariot, and so did these religious leaders. And I want to ask you this. You've all heard the gospel. You've all heard of Christ. You can see the eyewitness testimony, the accounts of many people's eyewitness testimony that is recorded in Scripture. You've heard of the, what, he had di what he did to prove he was the Son of God. Do you really think that you could one day stand before God 
And do you think you could actually make the case that Jesus did not prove he had authority to forgive sins? You actually think you could make that case? You would stand before God and not be embarrassed to say that? You really think that you could tell God he didn't do enough during Christ's life to prove that he was the Messiah? When that debt was paid for our sins, you, you really don't think God proved Christ had authority to do that? Dear friends, he did. And if you think if only God would give me more proof, I'd believe. It's not true. It's absolutely not true. What is stopping faith here is not a lack of evidence. It's a hardness of heart. A heart that really doesn't want to be reconciled to God, doesn't really want to come to God on his terms, would like to be forgiven, who doesn't? but doesn't want to be reconciled to God as his son or daughter. Where the relationship we assume is we're of a, of a loving father with loving children who love their father and want to obey him and, and agree and want to be corrected by him when they stray. Or maybe you do want forgiveness. You just think that you were able to pay it yourself. And you don't like the very humbling way that Christianity tells you is the only way to come, which is to say, I couldn't do this even with God's help. The Christian gospel is not God helps you earn your salvation with a little help from Jesus, or even maybe a lot of help, 99% Jesus, but 1% you. No, it's a very humbling gospel. And that's maybe why you have resisted it. Because you have to admit that God didn't just give you help. He gave you a substitute. And that truly to get what you deserve, even after trying your hardest, would be to get what Christ got on the cross. Is forgiveness of sin your greatest need? Yes, you worry about other things. And we do. And it's not wrong to concern yourself with other things. But is it your greatest need? And why do you want forgiveness if you do? Is it so that God will leave you alone? Or is it so that you can belong to God? Because you hate sin and you, you hate that your sin is against God. You hate that you sin against God, such a good God. Or do you simply just regret sin because it'll cost you and therefore really you see sin as a sin against yourself because look at what it's going to cost me. Dear friends, true faith sees sin as against God and sees that, that that is the problem. And it trusts in Christ for forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And if you have that faith, weak maybe, but if you have that faith, then Christ, not Derek, Christ declares that your sins are forgiven. And so you may not feel that you can forgive yourself, but you can tell yourself, self, I don't have authority to say one way or the other. Only Christ does. And his word says that my sins are forgiven, and so they are. His word says I am forgiven, I have peace with God, and so they are. But dear guests, if 
you still do not have that faith, then you still are in your sin. Your sins are not forgiven. And many people will try to make money off of you by telling you that they are. But don't trust them. It's cheap. It costs them nothing to say that. But when Christ declares your sins forgiven, it costs him his very blood. Dear friends, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, had authority on earth to forgive sins. Let us run to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice that though you see all of our needs and you do care about all of them, we rejoice that you see our need of forgiveness as our greatest need. And that would be the thing, if you were provide, that would cost you the most. It costs you nothing to provide us food or health or peace or safety. It costs you nothing for you to provide us friends or entertainment. But to provide forgiveness costs you your son. And we are grateful that you overrule what we may feel is our greatest need and you provide us that which is our greatest need. Father, there are people here who do not think they are unforgiven, but are. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to them that they are unforgiven and they desperately need it and that Christ so lovingly provided that. They would see their need and turn to Christ. But Lord, there are also people here who are forgiven and yet who are plagued with guilt and worry if their sins are actually forgiven. And Lord, I pray that you would work in them an increased faith that when they hear from your word that those who are in Christ are forgiven, and that they are in, in Christ by faith, Lord, I pray that they would embrace that and be calmed by that and would rejoice in their forgiveness. Oh, Father, we pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.